you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your devices, could I invite you to open them to 1 Corinthians 13? Uh, it'll also be up on the screen. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to, Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. Uh, questions worth asking in light of a text like that include, who embodies that type of love? Who is worthy of that type of love? And who is my neighbour? Before we start down this path together, though, uh, let's pray that God might help me speak clearly uh, and give each of us ears to hear and eyes to see God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, help. Amen. (laughs) Well, the death of over six million Jews at the hands of Nazi oppressors, the 17th and 18th century British and American enslavement of black Africans, Jonathan Edwards owning slaves, the Tutsi genocide in Rwanda, apartheid in South Africa, the murder of white South African farmers by black South Africans, the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Dante Wright, movements like Black Lives Matter, neo-Nazism, white supremacy, protests and riots in the streets all across the globe, the treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang by the Chinese government, rising tensions between the Taiwanese and the Chinese. In our own backyard, terra nullis, 
Invasion Day, the date of Australia Day, incarcerated deaths of First Nations people, the Cronulla riots of 2005, racism towards Asian Australians, Kevin Rudd saying sorry, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, the referendum for a First Nations voice to Parliament. Congratulations, church. I think we may have identified maybe 0.5% of the global issues of racism. It's a massive topic. In fact, some of you probably don't like me right now, either because I did touch on a point that affects you or I didn't touch on a point that affects you. We could spend 30 minutes, the whole sermon could just be me listing things that have been uh, racial wrongs across our globe and we would still not cover all the issues that have happened across our time on earth. It's tough because every single one of us falls into some form of race category and for as long as any of us can remember, it has been a deep and integral part of our identities trying to figure out how to address the global issue of racism has yet to bear genuine fruit anywhere in the world. To give an obviously oversimplified micro-summary of the issue, on the left, the general idea for addressing the issue is to demolish any remnant of the systems and structures that they believe were set up to not only privilege a particular race, but to also ensure the continuity of ever-increasing power for that particular race. Tear down the institution. It doesn't matter what the social or financial or security costs might be. On the right, the emphasis tends to be on individual approaches. Each person needing to check their racism. Systems aren't racist, people are. This can often be to the extent of ignoring systems and structures that are obviously uh, privileged towards certain parts of society. For us here in Australia right now, perhaps the uh, two hottest race-based issues are the referendum to um, have a constitutionally enshrined First Nations voice to Parliament uh, and also the increasing tensions with China um, and how that is bringing up pain from the past and refueling a lot of continued racism towards Chinese Australians. It's worth remembering that it was only in 1928 that the last government-sanctioned massacres of Aboriginal people happened uh, in uh, the middle of Australia. It's worth remembering it was only in 1992 that the High Court of Australia uh, officially overturned terra nullis, which means no one's land, and finally recognised that First Nations people have the rights to land and native title. In fact, we are currently meeting on what is once again officially known as and recognised as Turbul country belonging to the Turbul tribe. It's worth remembering that many Chinese immigrants were violently mistreated and even killed during the Great Australian Gold Rush of the 1860s. And more recently, we saw, even in Australia, a radical increase in racism towards uh, Chinese Australians and Chinese immigrants regarding COVID-19 and the racist attitude that blamed anyone who looked even moderately Chinese for the virus um, coming into Australia. And we saw people uh, coughed at, spat at, and shunned in public as a hurting world looked to uh, blame someone or something for their pain. Regarding 
First Nations voice to Parliament. On the right, there is a general fear that a racially specific voice in Parliament goes against the democratic process of our government system and its sovereignty given through election. And on the left, there is a recognition that the sovereignty of the Westminster system of Parliament that we have in Australia was violently forced upon First Nations people who had no choice, no choice in the matter uh, with zero respect for their sovereignty. Now, I appreciate that I am most likely guilty of oversimplifying both sides of these issues. I know that there are plenty of other thoughts and concerns out there and even within this room, but I think I've given us sufficient detail today for us to agree that these are complex matters that affect people in deep and powerful ways and that ultimately what is needed in our broken and dying world is the word of God who is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. So what does the Bible have to say about race, racism, and reconciliation? Well, firstly, we can appreciate that Adam and Eve, uh, who the Bible claims were the first humans that God made and breathed life into, had no race or ethnic identity. They weren't Jewish, they weren't white, they weren't black, they weren't Chinese, they didn't fit any of our modern categories of race. And it isn't until the sons of Noah, Sham, Sham, Ham and Japheth, that's definitely one my mum would get wrong yelling out from the front door. (laughs) It's not until we get to these three sons that um, they separate and go about repopulating the earth that we begin to get a concept of differing nations. Genesis 10 gives us the table of nations, uh, which is the beginning of different people groups um, and clans. uh, As Genesis uh, 10 verse 5 tells us, this is like the summary at the end of uh, this part of Genesis 10. It says, from these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Uh, We see the next summary in Genesis 10.20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. And again, we see it in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 10. These are the sons of Shem uh, by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out all over the earth after the flood. Now, many scholars agree that the story of the Tower of Babel uh, found in the next chapter, in chapter 11, shouldn't be understood necessarily in chronological terms, but as the other side to the same story. If in Genesis 10, the nations are being spread, each with their own language, uh, then Genesis 11 gives us the story of how that happened. It's also worth noting that God's scattering of the people in Genesis 11 was not so much in response to the fact that they built this tower, but in response to their pride of thinking that they could be something great as one united people who will stay in one place with one language and one culture, ignoring the command that God gave Noah and his sons in Genesis 9 to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. 
We can see from these texts that this is where nations, tribes, clans, different languages and cultures, and even different skin colours and facial features begin to define different people groups. And right here is a beautiful glimpse of God's mercy to humanity. Sin and pride was already the key characteristic of humanity 2.0, post the flood. But God keeps his promise to Noah to not destroy his uh, creation by flood ever again. Instead, he scatters the languages and humanity is forced to spread across the world, accomplishing God's command. In the next chapter, chapter 12, we come across Abram, who God calls to be the father, the beginning of God's chosen nation, who will eventually be called Israelites. Now, when we come to a text like Genesis 12 and we, we see the promise given to Abram, uh, it's worth uh, reading that in a way that we understand what is being said, but also make sure we understand what is not being said. God's choice of Israel is not for their exclusive benefit. They are certainly going to be blessed, but their greatest purpose, even according to Genesis 12, is to be a blessing to all the families on earth. All these people groups, with their differing languages, cultures, colours and features, are moving according to God's command for them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And although this cultural expansion is beautiful as an expression of the Imago Dei, the image of God, because of sin, because, of the, because the heart of a man is deceitful above all else, as Jeremiah tells us, Israel takes God's choosing of them as supremacy over nations, more so than being God's instrument of blessing to all the nations. The Old Testament contains the ups and downs of Israel getting this right a tiny bit of the time, but getting it wrong most of the time. When we come to the New Testament, Israel is once again under foreign occupied rule. Uh, this time by the Romans, and there are already racial wrongs happening, um, not just between the Jews and the Romans, but even within the, the Jewish cultures and their cousins and neighbours around them. And it's into this racially and politically charged environment that Jesus is born and begins his ministry of bringing the kingdom of God and fulfilling the mandate to be a blessing to all the nations. Jesus lives a perfectly obedient life life. Even though he would have been tempted by racism, the author of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted, and yet Jesus did not sin. He perfectly trusted God in his word. He perfectly loved God and perfectly loved every single one of his neighbours, which extends to you and I. This is good news for us today, church. Because Jesus loved perfectly and because he paid the penalty that we deserve for our sin and because he rose to life three days later, those who trust in Jesus for their salvation are also gifted Christ's perfect righteousness and obedience. Now, this doesn't mean that we are automatically sin-free or that we'll ever be sin-free before the return of Christ, but it does mean that we are no longer slaves to sin but we have more than enough to trust Jesus, love God, 
and rely on the Holy Spirit's empowering of us to love our neighbours. To continue our journey through the narrative of Scripture in Acts 2, we see at the birthing of the church, the Holy Spirit saved people from every tribe, language and nation gathered in Jerusalem, from every tribe of the then known world. God brought the church of Jesus into being by filling thousands of people with his spirit from diverse cultures and ethnicities. Something astonishing happens in this moment. We read in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in the upper room and they begin speaking in other tongues, in other languages. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 5 to 12. If you don't own a physical Bible, we would love to gift you with one. Uh, Please see our welcome team after the service. We'd love to put that into your hands. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Actually, I'm going to stop at the end of 11, sorry. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of of God. I hope you can see this incredible element of reversal uh, that is taking place here in Genesis. Uh, in Genesis 11, God scattered the people by confusing their languages, but now in Acts 2, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is speaking his word of gracious salvation through all languages. The theologian Trevon Wax says, on the day of Pentecost, we see an initial reversal of Babel. God gives everyone understanding so that instead of God's mighty works being proclaimed in just one language, Hebrew, for example, they can be proclaimed in many languages. As the Charles Wesley hymn declares, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. We also see the Apostle Paul mention that because of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf, Because Jesus has reconciled us to the Father, we now have a new nation. We are the people of God, citizens of his kingdom. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, 27 to 29, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." And if you are one, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to promise. God's promise has begun to come full circle. That promise to Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations is finally able to come about through the perfect love and work of Jesus. And now, through our being united with Jesus, we are being brought into the family of God. Now, this doesn't mean that our different cultures, languages, racial identities have to be put aside, but it does mean that our ultimate home isn't one of divisive tribalism, 
but is one of togetherness and unity in our oneness in Jesus. There is a beautiful picture described by the Apostle John in his writings that we call the book of Revelation. This book is, a, uh, is John's description of all that he saw and experienced in a vision that God gave him on the island of Patmos and of how God would finally bring about the culmination of the kingdom of God coming to earth. We can read about it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 12. It says this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful picture of all the world. Every culture, every language, every race worshipping God together. It's worth noting that the racial distinctives are mentioned. These nations haven't been forced into one language group or cultural group. It's every language. It's every culture. God graciously made them to come together as a beautiful tapestry to worship God. Now, I know this is adding humor for the sake of adding humor, but I, for one, am glad that it won't just be one race in heaven, but that our perfected racial distinctives will continue. I say humorous because my mind instantly goes to food. If the only food in heaven is white people food, I don't want to go. <laughs> Thanks be to God for the creativity and passion of so many cultures and races and their love for food that actually has flavor. Amen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that in heaven. This is the beautiful reality that God has made possible through the perfect life, love, sacrifice and resurrection of his son, Jesus. But until then, we have to continue to fight our sin, to wrestle with the constant temptation to be domineering, to prefer our way, to belittle other ways, to push others down in order to feel good about ourselves. In fact, we also need to wrestle with the wrongs of the past against different racial groups. I mentioned a few things at the beginning, and unfortunately, there are many, many more wrongs uh, that have been done throughout history. Those wrongs continue to bring pain, suffering, and the inability to move forward for many different people groups. Right here in Australia, we continue to have the racial tension between Anglo-Australians and First Nations peoples. Sure, there's been some attempts by the government to repair those relationships, and those are good steps. But as a nation, we have a long way to go towards true reconciliation that looks anything like what we are called to in Scripture. 
I read a quote somewhere this week which said that as Reformed Christians, those who uh, generally accept the biblical truth that all humanity has inherited a sin nature because of the sin and fall of Adam in the garden, that as those who believe that, we should be the most willing to say sorry and repent for the sins of our fathers, maybe even fathers long ago. Those who perpetrated evil against peoples of different races. We should be able to acknowledge the dual truths of knowing that we are forgiven because of Christ's work on our behalf, while also knowing that we are called to be in constant repentance, calling upon God's endless mercy, and that this should extend to our acknowledgement of wrongs done by those in the past, present, and even the future. So whether you lean left or you lean right on these matters as a point of politics, it should have little effect on the kind of compassion that we are being called towards fellow human beings, others who are equally created in the image of God. So in our sick and broken world, how are we meant to glorify God? How are we meant to take our experiences of God's perfect love towards us in Christ and extend it to others that we might be an extension of God's blessing to all the nations. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10? Uh, I'm going to read a parable that Jesus gave uh, and we're going to sort of sit in this text for a little while this morning. I'm going to read from verse 25 through to 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, A lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbours as yourself. And Jesus replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers. The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. A couple of things to note. Firstly, the lawyer answered correctly. He knew his Bible. He had the right theology and Jesus noticed that and told him to continue living in it. Secondly, the lawyer's knowledge of the Bible, his correct theology, wasn't matched by a right heart. 
And thirdly, Jesus uses the most offensive neighbor to illustrate this story. To continue my habit this morning of oversimplifying things, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. In fact, during the time of Jesus on earth, these tensions were rising radically. Many violent exchanges were taking place. And then about 30 to 40 years after Jesus, it got to the point where even the Romans tried to intervene between the two groups, um, intervene in the hatred. uh, And this led to the Jewish revolt against the Romans. The fact that Jesus does not use the priest or the Levite those who were meant to be Israel's most morally upright citizens as the hero, but instead uses the Samaritan as the hero of the story, was shocking. But I think what we need to hear from this text today is that question from the lawyer. Who is my neighbour? Luke tells us that the lawyer was trying to justify Himself And commentators generally agree this means the lawyer had a firmly held opinion on who his neighbour was and that he was perfectly okay with that most likely being limited to his Jewish brothers and sisters. That Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero would have shaken the very foundations of this lawyer's worldview. And church, I think it's meant to shake our foundations as well. If we are honest... This is a question we all ask deep in our hearts every day as we interact or engage or pass by people of different races, languages and cultures. I know I certainly do. I confess that as much as I hate racism, as much as I hate seeing people of other races being discriminated against or torn down, I confess that I still deep in my heart wrestle with this question. I wrestle with it when I see a person sleeping rough on the street who might be indigenous or of island descent. I see, I wrestle with them when I'm in the shops and I have people come past me who are maybe dressed pretty shabbily, maybe missing shoes, maybe reeking of alcohol. I wrestle with it when I'm on the train. And if I'm honest, my first thought isn't, how can I love my neighbour with the same, loved, same love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13? It's most usually, is this person actually my neighbour? Do I really have to care about this person? Most of the time, I'm more like the lawyer trying to justify my sin and indifference than I'm like the good Samaritan who knows deep in his heart, that the answer to the question, who is my neighbour, is anyone made in the image of God fully inclusive of race, language and culture. So how should this impact our perspective on race issues today? If we lean right, are we too protective of our systems and structures that might just be inherently discriminating against other races? Are we more interested in holding on to what we've always had? If we lean left, are we paying too much attention to, sorry, are we paying any attention to our own hearts, to a need for deep personal repentance and love towards others? To wrap this up this morning, I'd like to read an extended quote by the theologian uh, 
J. Daniel Hayes, who was really influential on helping me wrap my head around this topic. Uh, And then I'd like to pray for us as well. Hayes says, Therefore, if we Christians today are to hear Christ in this text, our theology must be reflected in our actions. We must do racial equality and not just think racial equality. The exemplary Samaritan in the story did not simply mind his own business. He took risks and he sacrificed some of his own well-being in order to show love to his ethically different neighbour. If we shirk the risks and dangers of breaking the ethnic barrier and if we place our own well-being at the top of our priority list, hiding behind the self-righteous justification of minding my own business, then we become like the priest and the Levite and not like the Good Samaritan. Thus we fail miserably in our attempts to hear and to follow Jesus. Yet if we allow ourselves to be filled with the compassion that Jesus gives, if we follow the leading and the power of the Spirit that led Philip to Samaria in Acts 8, if we dare to reject our inherited worldview and embrace instead the worldview of Jesus, And if we take serious social risks by actively shattering the ethnic barriers of our culture, then we have encountered Christ and have entered into the ranks of those who humbly follow him in both deed and belief. Church, let's hear the words of Jesus this morning. That our neighbour are all of those who have been made in God's image that our response to our neighbour is to be the same love and compassion and care as Jesus has given us, those who do not deserve his love or mercy. And yet he gave it to us, even by the very giving of his own life. Let's pray together. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. God of forgiveness and hope, who sent your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, to break down the walls that divide us from each other. Grant that all Australians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples with later migrants from many countries, may work together to heal the wounds of injustice in our past, and to build a community of care and compassion for our future. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.